Jesus had told His disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that the Son of Man must be killed. But on the third day, He would rise again. That's the context for our Scripture reading this morning in John 20. And I just want you to, to feel that and remember that. Jesus had been telling His disciples, some terrible things are going to happen to Me. They're going to happen. But on the third day, I will rise again. And now in John chapter 20, verses 1-18, through 18, it's the third day. It's very early in the morning on the third day, and all those terrible things had happened to Jesus, just as He had said. And what kind of response would His disciples provide for Him? What expectation did they have as the third day came? Give your attention to God's Word. John chapter 20, verses 1-18. through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put Him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He leaned over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put Him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. Let's pray for God's understanding of His good Word. Lord, by faith, would You enable us, every one of us, whether children or whether older, would You enable us each to lean over and to look in, to behold the good news that is ours by faith in Christ Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen. Faith and doubt. Belief and unbelief. Those are really the two possible responses to the resurrection story. Faith and belief or doubt and unbelief. And the truth is, faith and doubt, belief and unbelief, those things can both be simple and they can be sophisticated. Now, what do I mean by that? Unbelief and belief both can be very simple. Well, I just believe. It's not hard for me to believe. I believe. Or it can be, I just, I just don't believe. I just makes my head hurt to think about it. I just, I just don't believe in resurrected bodies. But faith and unbelief can both be sophisticated, right? We can be scholarly with anything. And so I want to begin the sermon this morning with a word about sophisticated unbelief. Sophisticated doubt. You may have heard of a group of scholars known as the Jesus Seminar. Very active and popular in the 80s and in the 90s. They're now, I think, mostly disbanded. But the Jesus Seminar was a group of 77 Christian scholars. Christian scholars. Bible scholars. 77 of them. And they considered it their job to come together and to study the Scriptures and then to vote what they thought was true in the Scriptures and what they thought was not true in the Scriptures. And the end of this sophisticated scholarly group was to conclude that 80% of the events and the words of Jesus never happened. These are Christian Bible scholars. You heard that correct. But on the resurrection, they would say this. Jesus did not physically rise from the dead. He was taken down from the cross, and His body was probably buried in a shallow grave and may have been eaten by dogs. Sophisticated unbelief. Scholarly unbelief that has no category for the supernatural for God breaking the bounds of the ordinary and the natural to do what He is pleased to do in His creation. To do supernatural things. They have no place for it. And so their sophistication and their scholarship 
is a hardness of heart and a disbelief in the very gospel itself. There is no good news in that whatsoever. There is nothing truly worth believing. This morning, I want to highlight the beauty of what the Scriptures proclaim and what Christians really do believe about the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection, the grace of the resurrection, and the hope of the resurrection. These are the things that by faith we cling to. We hold fast to these things. So first, the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection. Bottom line, he got up, y'all. The resurrection is real. It's true. It's not to be explained away as myth or legend. And nothing in these eyewitness accounts given to us in the Gospels suggest that it's myth or legend. They are written as eyewitness accounts to be taken for exactly what they offer. Tim Keller says this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. That is the ultimate question. And I think Tim Keller is right. If he didn't get up, so what? Who cares what he said? Oh, but if he got up, if he rose, that changes everything. And so the ultimate question before each of us this morning is, what do you believe? Do you believe that the resurrection is real? Not myth, not legend, but history. Actual history. When I was in seminary in about 1995 or 1996, out in St. Louis, Missouri, the seminary hosted a guest visitor for the week. Her name was Etta Linnemann. She was a German scholar, popular in the 50s and in the 60s. She had been a student of Rudolf Bultmann. And if you don't know that name, you basically need to know that the Jesus Seminar, those 77 scholars are his disciples, the product of his scholarly, sophisticated, academic unbelief. And so Etta Linneman was brought to our campus to speak to us in 1996, some 30, 40 years after her academic ministry. This German scholar who was trained in historical criticism of the Bible. But she came to us because her life had changed. She said that she had grown up never hearing the Bible taken seriously. And she'd become a scholar of the Bible who had trained under Bultmann. And then one day, she would hear the Bible preached and taught in a different setting by a pastor who believed the Bible. And she said it was, uh, this, this is her quote from her testimony, I had been a theologian for decades, but I did not know about the inspiration of Holy Scripture. I had to be born again to find this out. And so she, who had trained thousands in critical scholarship how to disbelieve the resurrection, yet to claim to be a Christian, 
she would come to faith in Christ through her trust in Scripture. And as a retired scholar would now travel, and she literally would tell people these words, burn my books. She repented of everything that her scholarship had done. She said she literally would say, burn my books. I believe none of that. And she distanced herself from the one who had trained her for the sake of holding fast to the Scriptures and to the resurrection. So sophisticated unbelief can give way to sophisticated belief, academic and scholarly belief. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, have died. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is Paul's giving a record that there were many witnesses. There were many eyewitnesses. There were many encounters with a resurrected Jesus. And it is to be taken as real and as good news. And we're to believe it by faith. You know, sometimes I think that we make the mistake of thinking like this. Well, these first generation Christians were so simple-minded They could easily believe in something like the resurrection because they weren't educated. Not like us. We're sophisticated. We're so modern. We're so postmodern. It's harder for us to believe in the resurrection than it was for them. That's not true. Our worldview, our secular worldview, has no view, has no regard for supernaturalism. They had a regard for supernaturalism. But they had no regard for a human fleshly body rising from the dead. They saw the spirit and the soul as good, but that a body would rise to everlasting life? No way! That was as big a hurdle for them to believe as it is is for us to believe in supernatural things. Every culture has had its hurdles to believe what God has said is true. These were not simple-minded people, and we're not any, truly any more complex than they. But it calls upon each of us to believe by faith what God has said He has done. And here we have Mary Magdalene, who is going to experience the truth of the resurrection for herself. And in verse 2 and in verse 11, she's dazed, she's confused, She's crying. She's in despair because nothing had gone the way that she thought that it should. And more than that, she feels abandoned and she feels very alone as she's crying at the tomb. They've taken my Jesus. Somebody has taken His body. Now I want you to imagine that sense, all those emotions bundled up in Mary. The one who had previously in Scripture, 
been cleansed by Jesus of many demons. One who loved Jesus intimately for how He had intervened in her life and changed her and transformed her. And she too would have heard the words of Jesus that many terrible things must happen to me, but on the third day I'll rise again. And she went to the tomb that morning. But she went to show her last respects. She didn't go expecting to find an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. You see, no one understood that third day language, that on the third day I will rise again. Nobody was expecting. Nobody understood. Nobody had categories for this. And as she comes to the tomb, she's crying. She's in despair. The stone has been rolled away. And she feels very alone and disappointed. And I wonder if you've been like this, like I have. That you can be so dazed and confused in life. You can feel so alone, so disappointed in the Lord. And yet you realize that she, she had no reason for any of those things. She's complaining to the Lord Himself at the tomb. Accusing Him of being a gardener and having taken the body. Where, what have you done with Jesus? She's complaining to two angels. The very presence of God is there at hand. But in being dazed and confused and disappointed and crying and weeping, eyes probably brimming with tears, the very thing she wants, it's true. And it's right there. It's within her reach. But she's so dazed, so confused, she can't see it. I wonder if you've ever been that way, like I have. Lord, why are you not being good to me? Oh, he's being good to you. You just don't see it. She accused Jesus of being the gardener and having stolen the body of Jesus. She made an enemy out of the Lord himself at that moment. Why have you done bad things to me? And he says, Mary, it's me. Why are you crying? And so I think Mary offers us much this morning. Some of you are in a hard season of life. You're disappointed, you're dazed, you're confused, you're wondering, why is God not being good to me? And this morning, Jesus is saying, Mary, I'm here. What, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Your, may, your name may not be Mary, but whatever your name is, the tomb is empty. Promises have been made. Promises have been kept. And yet you and I can feel like promises are broken and they're not true. It's just not true. Clarence Hall says this, Easter teaches us that you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail truth to a cross. You can bind truth with linen cloth and shut it in a tomb with a stone. But the truth will rise. And I think that's right. This morning, can you hold fast to the truth of the resurrection? There's emotions that are dazing you, confusing you, causing doubts within you. Maybe sophisticated doubts. But it's the simplest of faith that saves. Jesus says, I, I have overcome death. I have been resurrected for your good. And He calls us by name. He calls us by name. Can you hear Him call your name? Can you hear Him say to you, lean over and look in?
which is what the disciples did. I don't know exactly what that means. I guess the tomb was downward, but it says of two of them that they had to lean over and look in. And you know, that's what Etta Linneman, the scholar, had to do. She said she had believed the things that Rudolf Bultmann had told her because he was an academic. He was the teacher. But she had to lean over and look in for herself and come to conclusion about whether or not the Scriptures were true and the resurrection was real. You and I need to do the same thing. We need to lean over and look in. Secondly, the grace of the resurrection. There is so much grace in the resurrection. Martin Luther said this, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. I like that. And I think it's true. Creation itself testifies to the newness of life. How God is at work making old things new and bringing new life into what seem to be dead things. But there's a grace beyond that. There's a beautiful grace for the family found here. And that is that the grace of the resurrection, the grace of the resurrection makes us to be God's family. Now listen to what Jesus says. As He speaks to Mary, as He's brought her back to her senses, out of her being dazed and confused and disappointed, He says in verse 17, Go and tell my brothers. He calls His disciples my brothers. And then He says that my Father and your Father, my God and your God, He has this inclusive language and he wants Mary to go and tell his brothers. And you know what it doesn't say? Jesus didn't say, okay, go tell those knuckleheads who were asleep in the garden at Gethsemane while I was struggling. They wouldn't even stay awake and pray for me, which was the only thing I asked them to do. You go tell them I want to see them bright and early at 6 a.m. tomorrow because they're going to run. They're going to run laps because they blew it and they didn't understand who I was. It's a good thing none of us was Jesus because I think we'd be angry with the failure of the disciples. But that's not what He says. He says, go and tell my brothers. Tell them what you've seen. And my God is your God. My Father is your Father. That is the good news of the resurrection. There's an inclusive welcome that we, we are family. We are made to be brothers and sisters who partake of one loaf. And that loaf is Christ Himself. Go and tell my brothers, my Father is your Father. My God is your God. And then thirdly, the hope of the resurrection. And this is where I hope that we can sit for a moment and really apply this into our own lives. John MacArthur said this, The resurrection is the ground of our assurance. It is the basis for all Christian hope. And it is the source of power in our daily lives, here and now. It gives us courage in the midst of persecution. Comfort in the midst of trials. And hope in the midst of this world's darkness. 
Do you believe that? Is that true in your own life? Beyond Easter Sunday and our wearing pastel colors, and yes, I wore my pastel jacket today, beyond the, the cultural traditions and festivities and celebrations, and the, I presume that's an Easter lily, does the resurrection matter to you in your Christian life? Do you take up the truth of the resurrection and apply it to that diagnosis that you get from the doctor? Do you take up the truth of the resurrection and look at what might seem like financial collapse for yourself or your family and say, but I'm armed with the resurrection. This world may crumble and collapse on me, but I'm armed with the resurrection. That was always the only hope I had anyway, was that God loved me and makes all things right in Him. That's the hope of the resurrection rightly applied. That is that we need not cry. We need not weep in this life. If you're a Christian whose faith is in Christ, you believe in the truth of the resurrection, the grace of the resurrection, then you have the hope of the resurrection. It is yours. And you're to take it up and to apply it. We have an unshakable hope. Because we have a proven Savior. That's the beauty of the resurrection as it's applied to the Christian life. And every one of us, if we're not armed and equipped with that, then we're not armed or equipped with much. You see, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection destroys the power of death over us. Just as Christ's righteousness now satisfies the demands of the law on our behalf. We are reconciled to God. Our sins no longer count against us. We fear no foe. We fear no outcome. We have no obstacle that can overcome us in this life. Because simply put, we belong to the Lord and we are in safe hands. Amen? We belong to the Lord and we are in His safe hands. So lean over and look in for yourself. Look into the resurrection. Look into your doubts. Examine your faith. Lean over and look in for yourself just as those first disciples did. And you will find the truth of the resurrection, the grace of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection. They are all yours by faith in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close with an adaptation of a quote from Dale Ralph Davis, who is a scholar, a faithful scholar who believes in the resurrection of our Lord. He says this, For sinners, God sent a Savior. God did not send an economist because our deepest need is not poverty. Nor did God send a philosopher because our problem is not intellectual coherence. 
He didn't send a psychologist because our problem is not mental maladjustment. He did not send an entertainer because our problem is not our boredom. He did not send an administrator to address our disorganization. Nor did He send us a life coach or personal trainer to motivate us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. He sent us a Savior, the Messiah, who died as our substitute for our sins and who had power to rise up again in newness of life because that was what we needed. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we rejoice that You have given us what we needed, not what we wanted. And like Mary, we admit that our eyes are often filled with tears and we are dazed and confused, perplexed by this life. But Lord, we thank You that You gently call our names and awaken us from our confusion and show us the beauty of Yourself and of Your resurrection. And Lord, this morning we celebrate that resurrection, that death on a cross. We do it through the Lord's Supper. We do it as a people who come by faith. And we do it with song. So Lord, would You minister to us, even in these words of this hymn as we sing. Why should we be included as guests at this meal? It's a great question, Lord. Would You haunt us with that question this Easter? We ask and we pray it together. In Jesus' name, Amen.